Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. And if nobody believes that doesn't happen, just go ask somebody to listen to the stats we rattled off in the first two minutes of this phone call and ask it to go through 10 people and see what comes out the other end. This could be a hodgepodge mess. Yes. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's Sales Strategy and Enablement Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcox, CSRO here at Revenue.io. I'm thrilled to have with me today, Michael Litt, the co-founder and CEO of Vidyard. Michael, how are you doing? I'm very well. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Well, Michael, we'd love to start off each episode with leaning in on data, some recent developments of news and things like that. And when I think of Vidyard, and I think about you know, my background, Gartner days and all of that, buyer behavior was always front and center. And the engagement and how it's changing between sellers and buyers. And I love this recent one that came out, and this was actually a recent Forbes poll across C-suite executives that indicates that 65% of senior execs have actually visited digital assets of a vendor and after watching and engaging with video-based content and other things like that, over half, around 53%, are more likely to then actually engage through that format and information. And, and, and in a way, Michael, I don't know that that's actually that surprising or that new, but yet still today, I kind of think of like so many teams I interface with around the world, they rely upon, well, I'm going to shoot an email. I'm going to just phone call them, just do all the basic things. And yet we're really living in a different world of engagement than we were even 12 months ago. But what's your thoughts when you hear those numbers and think about buyer engagement? Yeah, I love I love this topic. And to your point, this is not new. I remember when we started Vidyard, you know, near on a decade ago, and we would go to the Serious Decisions events and talk to marketing leaders. Serious Decisions had data back then uh, that suggested that about 65% of the buying process happened external to the interaction between a buyer and a seller. That doesn't mean that you're not involved in the selling process. It means that the buyer is using all the tools available to them, all the technologies, all the research that's now been augmented with things like artificial intelligence to figure out what the best vendor is, the best solution to a problem they have is before they're actually talking to a vendor. And, and Gardner released some data recently. I'm just pulling up the pie chart here. Um, apparently only 17% of a buying group's time happens 
and meeting with potential vendors. And I think there's another a bigger component to that stat, which is a buying group, right? It's no longer necessarily just an individual that's making a decision. There's a committee, there's consensus. And in difficult economic environments like we're in today, uh, that becomes even more real. And so when we think about the technologies we build, when we think about the way we go to market as a company, we're not thinking just about how do we enrich the seller and how do we give them better products and better experiences and better tools to engage buyers. We're thinking about that buyer experience on the other side of that. And the core principle that I really try to distill for my product team and for our go-to-market teams is the people that are buying our solution or buying products from our customers are the same people that are shopping for sneakers online, that are buying textiles for their home. And so why would there be such a vastly different process than that which exists in their own personal lives and why do B2B brands refuse to really think about that? So how do we think about building technology in that context? Yeah. That's something I, uh, I live and breathe every day. Well, I think you hit on a few really big, important points I want the audience to recognize here. And some of what we just discussed before, but it's worth reiterating. The first statistic you pulled off from Gardner, the 17%, you said it, but people often miss the S. That 17% is for vendors, not vendor. Yes. So if you assume on average in B2B sales, you're usually competing against three other companies, the four of you. So you're effectively getting under around 4% per vendor is the amount of time you get with the customer. Like that, that's the actual in-presence, in-meeting, all of those things. That's very limited. And I always used to say people when people doubted, because I was part of that with Hank Barnes and a few others, Dairy and others back at, in my Gartner days, it did a bunch of that research. Even if somebody doubted, the result. And that's a very sound number. Let's say you're twice as good as that. Like you're somehow twice as good as the rest of the world at engaging with buyers. There's still only maybe at 8%. Like it's, it's a staggeringly low number, which means once you come to engage, you better be really darn good at it. Yeah. But the second part is equally as important there. And, and again, I just want to double down on this. Buying groups have got bigger coming out of the pandemic. They actually shrunk during COVID. And the reason they shrunk was because everybody wanted to act so quickly and try to figure out what they needed to do. They removed process. They actually just shrunk it down to going, we got to act nimbly. We need to be fast. And so it didn't matter if you were IBM, General Electric, all the way down to Fred's startup. People were moving very quickly because of just the, the dynamic nature and the sheer shift that was occurring. But coming out of that market, we've gone into a decent actual growth market, but much more risk adverse in it. When companies are risk adverse, they're going to go to more stakeholders to engage. They're going to make sure it isn't just the CEO or the chief revenue officer or this, this, or this that's going to sign off. Those people are now engaged with their routine, nine and 13 different people in their company. And, and Michael, I just, I'd, I'd love your, how would you advise a company even when you're in B2B sales and you got to go engage with nine to 13 people? I actually don't have an easy answer for anybody on how you would take AEs and do it. What I actually think is you don't try to solve the problem by trying to meet all of those people. This is where we now use artificial intelligence, where we use technology to control the story and help that buyer buy, not just the seller sell. Yes, nailed it. I think there's a lot in this topic. 
And I think it's going to become an emerging component of debate among uh, players in the sales tech stack. Uh, because again, you hear so little of them talk about that buyer experience. And the reality is outside of that 17%, right? The other components are, so 27% is researching independently online. 22% is meeting with the buying group. So they're spending more time with the buying group than they are with their vendors. 18% is researching independently online, which comes up twice, interestingly enough. And then there's this category of other. And so basically the majority of the time that's spent is researching independently online. So the advisory that I give to companies that we're partnering with, and I wear another hat as a startup investor, uh, fund called Brush Capital, we've done 150 investments and they always come to me asking for go-to-market support advice, is how are you going to show up where your customers are? How are you going to show up in their inbox? How are you going to show up in their YouTube feeds? How are you going to show up on Twitter, on LinkedIn, at events that they go to, in review sites, in analyst reports, so on and so forth. And so that's the way kind of we have to start thinking about a go-to-market motion that's buyer-centric. And so from a technology landscape and the way you know we've thought about solving this problem is what the first thing somebody's going to do they're looking at a vendor and they hear about a vendor because it's on a review site, et cetera. We as, as Vidyard can't necessarily control that. That's up to the vendor to put that information out there, have a really great marketing program. When they show up to that website or they go to that YouTube channel, the first thing they're going to do is probably watch a customer testimonial video. And so that's where Vidyard hosting comes into play. We sit on the website, somebody comes in, they watch it, they watch an amazing video. We understand how much of the video that customer watched and we know exactly which customer watched that video. That's such important information for the seller. But your marketing team did an amazing job of making that video available. The follow-up should be from a sales rep going out to that customer saying, hey, I noticed you watched this video. You might like this other one as well. That inference of knowledge and that communication can be entirely AI-driven. And that's why we've built this product called Prospector. So, They've showed up on your website. Now you show up in their inbox in a timely fashion with content that will help them further their exploration of you as a vendor and your brand. At this point, you're flagging an account executive inside the organization and saying, hey, the customer is watching this video. They've responded to this email. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Mike. You're in their inbox. Now you're a human being. So you've had an autonomous sales agent, which is a video, explain to them the value they're bringing. And now you've had an autonomous sales agent send an email recommending other things that they can learn about the product. And now you have a human being saying, hey, I'm the person who's going to help you make these decisions. I'm a human, you're a human. Let's build a relationship. Meanwhile, all that content, the subsequent Zoom calls, pricing proposals, other videos, all that gets injected into what we call a digital sales room. So when that buyer has to bring in their buying committee, all that content's available in one place. It's not sitting in their inbox in a million different disparate areas. And so it's an organized destination. It's like a Google Drive. It's, it's beautifully designed. They can bring people in. And of course, we're informing the seller every time somebody new gets added to that, every time they're looking at content, and we're helping the seller understand what other content that buyer might ultimately need. Yeah. And so by using artificial intelligence, we can contextualize 
and find associated pieces of content and do it faster than a human ever could. And what that allows the humans to do is build the relationship. And that's where you're optimizing that 4% of the time you have with the vendor because they're already equipped with everything they need to know. And, and in the end of the day, buying and selling is like, it's all about this asymmetry of knowledge, right? The buyer knows what their problem is. The seller knows what their technology can do. If you can even out that asymmetry of knowledge as quickly as possible, you're probably the best vendor. And so you have to do that asynchronously outside of that 4%. And that's, that's the moment for AI. So as you can tell, I'm very excited about this, but uh, we think about it a lot. I love this idea of the asymmetry of knowledge, Michael, how you frame that. Because it is, as I said, in terms of helping a buyer buy, sellers sell every day, but buyers don't buy it. Right? They, again, to your point, they know their problem for sure. But do they know how to advocate internally? Do they know how to communicate the value of what they're trying to get done? And they often maybe, even if you're with the primary buyer, that buyer may not have to go convince several other people just because it's part of corporate process, corporate politics that exist. And that is solving you know, the old kids game to me. We'll, we'll flash back to our use here, Michael, but if we were playing the game of telephone as a kid and sitting in a circle with 10 friends and you whisper something in my ear and then I tell it to the next person, the next person, the next person, by the time it gets around to number 10, everybody laughs because what's said is completely different from where it started. Right. And if nobody believes that doesn't happen, just go ask somebody to listen to the stats we rattled off in the first two <laughs> minutes of this phone call and ask it to go through 10 people and see what comes out the other end. This could be a hodgepodge mess is what it's going to be. Yes. So, you know, this idea of really, you know, the buyer rooms and buyer enablement and assets that support stages of the journey are really important to me. So when I think of an enterprise today, the first thing you need to do before you actually even buy a technology is, do you know the tasks your buyers have to complete in order to buy your services or products? Not the marketing buyer journey, the buyer tasks. Because if you know the tasks, you then can say, well, how do I support the buyer and support their buying committee through those tasks? And I'll give you like a really tactical example of that, that we, we know that in most B2B purchases, in mid to late stage buying, 67% of the time, security is overlooked. Now, any listening is going to be like, hold on, hold on. We do a really good job. We send over our SOC certificates, GDPR compliance, all of that stuff early on, and, and that's good, right? Buyer ignores it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, buyer ignores it. And also, what doesn't happen is they're, they're not thinking of security in the right way. Is it's security is to say the CIO, where the CIO is like, it may be the most secure thing in the world. But that's got a ripple effect on everything else I have inside this company. And you're not going past go on there. And what does that simple thing do? It adds on average anywhere between 12 and 20% to the sales cycle. One task, one. And everybody, I don't know what you hear, Michael, but I hear relentlessly right now, pretty much saying, hey, my, everything's taking longer than it used to. Yeah. And so if you start to map these tasks and think of then, well, what do I automate? What do I add intelligence to with AI? And what do I need my rep to do versus what can I actually have a system orchestrate for? That, I believe, goes a long way to solving the asymmetry that you just so eloquently said between, hey, the buyer has a problem, the seller has a solution, but we haven't figured out how to put those together because 
unsurprisingly, nobody has the pre-built Lego book that tells everybody how to do everything. Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting point because there are some things that every buyer, every enterprise buyer will go through. Security, legal, and budget approvals. Okay. And every single time I'm interacting with a customer, a partner, or whatever, they talk about how their reps are always inadequately projecting the amount of time that those things take. The reps should know that those are always issues. So, so why not tell your buyer, hey, let's go talk to your security team and clear this hurdle ASAP. Hey, let's make sure you have budget, which is a bigger topic now than it's been before. The CFO is, I think, scrutinizing vendor service and software purchases more explicitly than they were prior in a, in a growth market. And, and same thing goes for legal. Those are the mechanics and the mechanisms that exist in every single large organization because they're looking to mitigate downside. They're looking to cover their cover their arse, so to speak, um, on any bad decisions that are ultimately made. But then there's this, that other component I talked about, which is that buyer has a problem. That buyer has a personality. That buyer wants to be educated. That buyer wants to be entertained. That individual person, that champion, which starts the process, is a human being. And they're interested in things outside of their enterprise. They might not be as incredibly passionate about doing the thing they do at work as they do about running. How do you associate those things? And those personalized moments, that's, I think, where AI can play a really big role. AI obviously can automatically insert the infosec checklist and respond to that. It can, it can automatically you know, push the AE to go and ask for budget approvals and scrutiny on the buyer side. But how does it personalize the journey for that buyer in a way that meets their needs, that answers their questions, that understands the implication of the role? And, and just you know, case in point here, you know, the, the big sales motion in B2B tech is hire a new grad out of college, put them through like a week and a half of training, and then go and try to get them to sell to CEOs and VPs of marketing. That individual, no offense, they could be the smartest you know, new grad in the world, but they have never lived the reality of a VP mark, a CMO, a VP sales, you know, a, a CTO. They just will not know the complexity of that role. They can imagine it, but they're probably going to be wrong. AI holds the collective wisdom of all of humanity and can probably do a better job of understanding the pain of an organization, knowing what problem it solves, and the individual inside of that organization understanding their role and the things they're thinking about in the context of this global spectrum of human knowledge. So it can personalize the outbound message, say, to that individual to get a much higher response rate that's much better for the buyer because that BDR has all the best intentions and they might have the solution that really and truly solves that buyer's problem, but they cannot communicate it in a way that will resonate with that buyer. And so that opportunity is lost. Yeah. And so these are the areas where I think AI can do such a compelling job. And yeah, you know, I've been I've been playing with this tool called Prospector, and my response rate is like 5x what we've been able to get from our BDR team. And, you know, I think there's a couple of advantages. One, I'm the CEO, but two, the quality of communication is just much more relevant. I think it really it it is changing massively in terms of the quality of engagement. So I'll, I'll give you a grievance I have, Michael. It's here. 
for for years in personalization, the mantra in sales has been, especially top of the funnel, we're talking here, this 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 analogy. Well, you got to look up and understand that both Michael and Elser love cars and send them something about cars and then lead into your product. <laughs> okay. And and for the audience, we both we were both car guys, but we'll save the petrol talk and all of that for another day and, and racing. But just know, imagine if you knew that particular fact, because they've gone and crawled social media or something and, and seen something, right? The issue with that, especially in the case of a senior buyer, it's not that I don't appreciate you do something personal about me, but I actually don't have a ton of time to talk about my personal life and randomness with a bunch of people, right? Yes. I have enough on decisions on my plate today. I just need to know that you knew something about my sector, my business, and how you're going to help me beat my peer group. If you've actually understood that and you're coming to me in that way, it's not that I may respond, but I'm, I'm definitely going to probably get my, somebody in my org to respond. And that's part of what you're trying to do. And I believe personalization has been overly accessed to the personal and not the personalization of the business. And I think if you're going to go target and particular senior buyers, this idea that you are going to enable that buyer to enable their buying group is really important to me. And it's the personalization in their segment, in their business, all of those things that are going on. And these days, you know, most AEs actually are already doing this. But like if you aren't actually going and reading particularly publicly traded companies, their financials and understanding summaries through like chat GBT and stuff like that, man, you're, you're missing out. Like that, that is instant insight you can bring to bear and ask it to be contextualized to your, your buyers, their segments, look at different companies. Like I, I remember, sorry, I'm on my soapbox here, Michael, but I remember back years ago, managing consulting, like more than a decade ago, we would go hire out of the school business analysts just to put all that stuff together. Yeah. And now in minutes, you can have the same insight and then apply the insight to support that buyer. That to me is personalization. Yes. Not trying to cutesy me out with something that's in my personal life. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I I hear that. I understand that. And the context there is help you do better in your job so that you can be more yes. successful, make more money and spend less time so you can go enjoy your hobbies. Right. That's kind of the the connection. I think it, it's interesting in the in the product led growth context, mm -hmm. where you're selling a product to an individual user that's maybe an IC. You probably want to have a little, like from what I've seen, you want to have a little bit more of that like personalization, that personal connection through to who they are and what matters to them in that particular way. When you're at a senior level inside of an organization, there just is not, to your point, time for that. You live and breathe. If you're a public company and you're a VP, you live and breathe and succeed based on those earnings calls. Yep. And those priorities that are being communicated at those earnings calls are guaranteed the priorities that are being pressed upon you and already have been for weeks and months prior to that announcement being made. Yeah. So that pain is very real. And to your point, AI will be able to synthesize and communicate that, that pain point from the earnings call in the context of your role far better than that new grad can and in an absolute instant. So this is a there's a huge moment and opportunity here. And it also plays to when you show up for that 4% of the time, like your pre-read should be AI generated. And if you're not using an existing technology, like use ChatGPT, look up the company, 
insert their earnings report, ask for the summary in the context of that person's role. Yeah. And speak to them in their language and show that you're interested. Like, I think that, to your point, is such a game changer. And the technologies, it's available. It's free. Like, it's not, it's not really that much of a leap. But I think so few people have failed to connect the opportunity to the reality today. And the reps that do are the ones that are going to, you know, blow their peers out of the water and, and have these trade secrets in the way they go to market. Without question. Michael, unfortunately... Yes. I actually have to call the ball there on this discussion here, but we would love to have you back and dive in more into the value differentiation and the application of AI to this reps and these buying committees, because clearly it's where it's headed, right? Like if we're going to live in a world where only 17% of the engagement site for all vendors is face-to-face, and you think of all the other buying committee time that you eloquently showed out today, you know, it's, it's this, this idea of personalization and helping buyers buy. Is, is front and center. Now, we love to also finish up with a little bit of trivia at the end of every episode. Wonderful. So I'm going to throw a question at you here. Oh my gosh. I, my like test anxiety is flaring up. That's right. Exactly. So so <laughs> I'm going to give you three three answers to the question though. You just got to pick the right one. So so, so we, this will be pretty straightforward, maybe. <laughs> All right. So you ready? Feeling Feeling good? I'm feeling good. All right. The question is this. In the context of B2B sales, what factor significantly impacts the likelihood of a buyer making a purchase decision? Number one, A, the color scheme of a sales presentation with blue being the most persuasive color. (laughs) B, the day of the week the sales pitch is made with Mondays being the most effective. (laughs) C, the number of decision makers involved with sales cycles increasing by 22% when just one additional decision maker is part of the process. Wow. You know, it's funny. I um, obviously don't want to get this wrong because it will invalidate everything I said, but A and B were things that in the early days of Vidyard, we talked at length about. And it's amazing how startups spend time on the things that ultimately do not matter in, you know, kind of the uh, the gaps in the naivety of an experience. But I'm going to go with C. You are absolutely right. Understanding and adding in the additional buyers into the decision-making process is massively going to shift us uh, forwards in terms of helping some drive decision support. So your point of personalization, the buying group, Michael, is bang on. And we'll debate uh, days of the week and colors maybe on a future episode for uh, PowerPoints. <laughs> Michael, it has been a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much. Final word is yours, then I'll bring us home. Thanks for having me. Incredibly passionate about this topic. Uh, if you're listening and you want to engage, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, where you'll probably find me most active. Uh, we are looking to solve these problems as an organization, something I think about every day. So happy to chat anytime. Well, Michael, a co-founder and CEO of Vidyard, it has been fantastic having you with us. For those listening in, please remember to like and subscribe and send in your questions and we will do our best to address them on a future episode. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day.
Hey, sales strategists! At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.